Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We believe that the gospel really is good news, that the blood of Jesus worked, and that Jesus meant it when he said, it is finished. In Christ, we are dead to sin and alive to God, forgiven and free, clean and close, holy and beloved, blessed and made new. If God is doing something special in your life, we would love for you to tell us about it. You can simply email us at info at lifejourneyva.com. One of the reasons we are able to provide these weekly podcasts is because of the generosity of people like you. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. So last week, Brandon uh, and Brandon had and, and Christine had to, had to take off. Uh, they were here earlier, but... Brandon did, a, if you didn't listen to it, if you weren't here, uh, Brandon did a great job speaking about um, when God doesn't answer our prayers. How do, we, how do we handle that? What do we do when God doesn't answer prayers? And, and so today's, it, it, that message really got me thinking um, about a lot this week, because that happens a lot. And the circumstances sometimes don't change when we pray for things for a long time. And so it it got me really thinking about how, how do we handle that? How, how do we manage those, um, the, the, those times when we think, from a certain perspective, and hear the whole sentence here, when God lets us down? Because we have these expectations that he's going to do X, Y, or Z. Uh, somebody was talking about, oh, I, I, had, I can't say who it was with. It was a private conversation, but I had a conversation this week with a prominent member in our cult, uh, city or town, Crozet, and just angry at God because he didn't heal his mom 10 years ago from cancer. I mean, angry. And so how do we deal with that? How do we go through these very anxious times that we find ourselves in? And so it really got me thinking of, of, of what the scripture teaches of this. And, and so I want to talk this week and probably next week about this very deal of how do we deal with these the, the, this anxiety, sometimes even this depression when, when God doesn't come through the way we think he should. Many times we spend months, years praying over something that never happens. And sometimes it's not necessarily an event that we've been praying for, like somebody's had cancer, and like, like this conversation I was telling you about a second ago. But sometimes things happen out of the blue, that were totally unexpected things that happen, a death of a loved one, a separation, something that happens in your marriage that you, had no, you didn't see it coming. Maybe you should have, but you didn't see it coming. She says, hey, Jack, you're out. What do we do there when that happens? A financial collapse. We've had a couple of recessions here recently. Hopefully you didn't invest in Bitcoin. Bitcoin, is that what it's called? Hopefully you didn't because, or if you did, hopefully you got out before that whole, whole thing happened. 401Ks, going to pot. Maybe you've had a situation with a child. Some of the worst conversations that I've had over the last, you know, gosh, what has it been? 15-ish years of doing what I do is when a parent of a child calls me, a parent of a teenager calls. and says, Walt, and then they tell me the story. My son, my daughter, they've, you know, and they tell me some sort of, 
story of how they've begun some sort of deplorable, you know, stuff. And just the pain and the agony in that child, that parent's voice, who tried their best to raise them right and all this sort of stuff. So when these moments happen, what I'm trying to say is they don't have to be things that we've been praying about and praying for for years and years and years. They're just things that just smack us upside the head. We didn't see it coming. A diagnosis for your parents. Our parents are getting older and older, and the day is going to come sooner than it did yesterday that, hey, your dad has this. Your mom has that. My aunt, who was like the epitome of health for my whole life, she's like on her third or fourth bout with serious ovarian cancer. I mean, they've taken out, taken out all those organs, but she still has ovarian cancer. How does that work? I have no idea. And so we get hit with these things just completely out of the blue. And it creates a trauma. It creates an impact in us. Where was God in those moments? Was God taking a nap? I mean, was God helping out somebody else when my kid got involved in this stuff? Was he, was he you know, snoozing on cruise control? Not involved? Uncontrollable life events are some of the top contributing factors to anxiety in America today. In fact, depression, which used to rule the diagnosis world, has, is being dwarfed by anxiety diagnoses. And of course, some people suffer from both of them. I read this last week, an article in the um, uh, New York Times. The article ran last summer, and it was, uh, the title was Prozac Nation, which is what, you know, America was kind of coined in the 90s. You know, Prozac Nation, Prozac helped with, you know, the depression, has been replaced, has now become the United States of Xanax, which, of course, is a tranquilizer for, to deal with anxiety. So Prozac Nation is now the United States of Xanax. In the article, it talks about this 37-year-old woman in Manhattan. I don't know if I've ever quoted a tweet before in church, but here's a quoted tweet with hashtag and everything, Jim. I'm relevant. She said, I don't, quote, I don't hear from my friend for one day my thought, they don't want to be my friend anymore. Hashtag, this is what anxiety feels like. Maybe you taste that in certain ways in your own life. So many things have happened to you in your young life or your old life, wherever you fall, where you actually just are waiting for the next shoe to drop. You don't know where it's going to drop, but it's going to drop. It doesn't just affect adults. I was talking with Craig a little bit before our meeting this morning. The article goes on to talk about that according to data from the National Institute of Mental Health, some 38% of girls, it's one over a third of girls, age 13 to 17, and 26% of boys, the same age, 13 to 16, so a fourth of all boys, have a diagnosed anxiety disorder. On college campuses, anxiety is running well ahead of depression as the most common mental health concern, according to a 2016 national study 
of more than uh, 150,000 students from the Pennsylvania State University. Meanwhile, the number of web searches for anxiety, according to Google Trends, has more than doubled searching for about anxiety in the last five years, whereas depression has, no pun intended, has flatlined. And so anxiety is commonplace. In fact, you are probably suffering in some sort of way from some sort of anxious spirit. If not you, your family member, a child, apparently one out of three girls in that age range, and the pressure that are put on students. We were just, I was just talking with uh, It's just sad. It's just sad to see the anxiety levels that have hit in epidemic proportions. And we don't know how to fix it. I mean, Eugene sees this stuff every single day in what you do as a counselor, young children. And the answer most of the time is to throw medicine at it, which can be a good solution. I mean, Solution, possibly. But that tends to just, according to Eugene, he's the authority, not me, tends to just mask it. It doesn't really fix it. So what do we do? How do we handle this society in which we find ourselves where apparently it's getting worse and worse for our younger people? And we remember the day in America where we used to wake up and we're excited about the possibilities and the land of opportunity, the possibilities of what today is going to happen today, what we're going to see today, what we're going to do today. Instead, today, we apparently a lot of people wake up just waiting for some sort of tragedy to hit. It's hard to put myself in the shoes of a 13-year-old or a 17-year-old, but in their young life, our nation has been at perhaps a justified war, but been at war the whole time they've been alive. There's been several recessions, been crazy politics, crazy stuff happening. Can you imagine? So we have some choices, I think, to make. And I don't think the solution is just to ignore it, stick our head in the sand and just hope it goes away. I think there's something better we can do. Medicine might be part of it. Counseling might be part of it. I don't know. I'm not a whatever it is that prescribes medicine. Doctor. (laughs) There it is. It escaped me. But I think there's something even better. And when we grab a hold of this that we're going to see in the life of the Apostle Paul, it actually gives us an anchor that holds that regardless of the circumstance, we're okay. Here's what's happening. We're trying to derive our deep okayness upon circumstances that surround us. We're trying to derive who we are by whether or not we get into Brown University, like we talked about this morning, or by whether or not we accomplish this, or get hired by that, or get this raise, or don't have this meltdown financially. 
We derive our okayness by these circumstances. In the words of one of my dear friends, how's that doing for you? Right? You guys just told me a story this morning of friends of yours who they're bar- their barn with how many goats? 40, you said? 20? 20 baby kid goats burnt. That's, a, that's their livelihood of this farmer. Life is going to stink at times. So how do we not let, allow these circumstances that are always around us, that are heavy, dictate our personal peace? Because that's what we're really looking for, right? Anxiety and peace, they are as opposite of oil and water. There's no ability to have a true lasting peace when your mind is running a million miles a minute of fear and worry. So we're going to take a look pretty quickly at a few passages, a few verses in the book of Philippians, chapter 4, of where Paul, who probably has the corner market on the right to be anxious. I was talking to Eugene this morning. The, Paul, whenever he would go into a city, based on his experience of other cities, every single time he could go into a city, he could be overwhelmed with uncontrollable worry and anxiety about when is he getting arrested next. Read 2 Corinthians, what is it, 13, 14, something around in there, where he lists all the times that he was beaten, all the times that he was shipwrecked, all the times he was bitten by snakes, all the times he was lied to and deceived by those who were quote-unquote followers of Jesus. That's what, that was normal daily life. In fact, he says to the, I think the Corinthians, he says, I die daily. The, when I was in Ephesus, they sicked wild beasts at me. I'm dying every day. So, if you think about it, who would have the right to say, I live by anxiety? I think it's the Apostle Paul. All for what? For telling people about Jesus. But he discovered something that I want to discover more of. Because though I stand up here and I share with you guys, you know, what the Lord puts on my heart and what we see from the Scriptures, I'm not impenetrable to anxiety, to fear, to worry, to doubt. So I want to discover more of what Paul's learned and discovered. And as we sang, the very same power that raised Christ from the dead is apparently alive in me. And I want to live from that. So he's writing this letter that we call Philippians to a town friends in the town called Philippi. Does anybody know where Paul is actually sitting while he's writing this letter? He's sitting in jail. Do you know what his attire is while he's writing this? I don't know, but I know one thing he's, got, he's wearing. I know one thing he's sporting, chains. This man is chained up in a Roman prison. Now, we think of prison today, we think of, you know, you know, cable television and, you know, workout bench, you know, and all this sort of stuff. I'm not saying it's great. I don't want to sign up for it. But we, that's, that's our idea that we get from, you know, modern prisons, etc. 
first century Roman prison, that's not the case. There was no indoor plumbing. Usually prisons were the lowest part of some sort of public building, like the basement, if you will. And they didn't go outside to use the restroom. I'm not trying to be gross here. They would just find a corner. And gravity, all that stuff is just seeking down through the floors of the building above into this place where he finds himself seated, sitting, chained, not able to move if he's under a drip. I mean, this is not fun, to say the least. But we're going to read some words here that just blow my mind when you think about the circumstance he finds himself in. And he's tapped into something that I want to tap in more and more to. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Now, again, this is a dude who's sitting in Roman prison saying, guys, look, we have so much to rejoice for. And again, I say rejoice. Now, we probably heard this verse a lot, but we probably missed the context of where this verse has come from. This comes from a man who's sitting in a prison, in a Roman prison. And he is a Roman citizen, no less, but yet sitting in a Roman prison. Because he's telling people about Jesus. He's been ridiculed. He's been slandered. And yet he is saying, guys, we have, do you, can you believe how much we have to rejoice in? And what the Lord has done to us. As we just sang about, we were dead, but now we're alive. We were far from God. But as the next verse, verse 5, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Here's what we rejoice about. The Lord is near. Don't, don't, let's not overlook this. This is the very same God, as I was praying earlier, who in the old covenant, no matter who you were, he couldn't come close he couldn't come near. You remember how many times in the Old Testament the, the, uh, God, the Scripture says that God walked past people? He walked past Moses. When he put Moses in the cleft of the rock, he walked past Job in the book of Job. He walked past Elijah because Elijah couldn't handle it. No one could handle it. He was the God of the Old Covenant, a God who walked past people because no one could see his face and live. But in the new covenant, that very same God who used to walk past, guess what? He now lives in. He now walks in us. And he says, guys, we have so much to rejoice for. Yeah, I'm sitting here in prison, but do you realize who is in me? The God of the universe is actually in me. And though I might be chained with chains on the outside, I am as free as a bird on the inside. Well, shout out to Leonard Skinner. I'm free. I'm as free as it gets on the inside. Don't let these chains fool you, for I am free. This is what we, this is where Paul finds this contentment. It's like Jesus is actually in him and with him. He's at hand. This, this word it, near, it means it is so close you can touch him. And we know the truth of the new covenant that he has become one spirit with us. And so this reality of the Lord's nearness 
Paul is saying it vastly overshadows the anxiety of not knowing and the worry and the, uh, the, uh, the anxiety of what could possibly be thrown at me. And so it's in this context, the Lord is near, the Lord is in me, the Lord is with me. I'm not alone. He loves me. He cherishes me. He desires me. As we sang, he didn't even want heaven without us. So he came and he purchased us. He died for us so that we could be with him where he is now. Therefore, with this in mind, verse 6, hey, look. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing. There is nothing that can compare with this nearness of the Lord. Be anxious for nothing. Now look, things are going to come at us. And Paul, he's the one who could tell us the most about these things that come at him, all these wild beasts that he's facing. But be anxious for nothing. But let's let God know what we're going through. He knows it already, but we can talk to him by prayer and supplication, always being thankful. We present, we let our requests be made known to God. But there's nothing, when we see how near the Lord himself is, there is nothing that can drive us into anxiety about what is going to be thrown at us. And we say, whoa, 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 Paul, you don't understand what I'm going through. You don't understand that, that my wife doesn't want anything to do with me. Well, the Scripture doesn't say this, so I'll stand over on the side for this, but Paul was a P.H. Pharisee, Pharisee. And he, according to tradition, Pharisaical tradition, you had to be married in order to be a Pharisee. So apparently, Paul had a wife at some point in time. Now, in the Scriptures, he doesn't refer to her. In fact, he says at some point that he was single. Either she died or she left him. So one of the ways, Paul knows what the heartbreak of even a marriage that's ended, whether through death or by abandonment. I don't know. So let's don't say, oh, Paul, you don't know what I'm going through. I don't know if Paul had kids. I mean, we just don't know. But none of us, as far as I know, have faced the level of anxiety of the fear of walking into a city and waiting, okay, where's the nearest basket I can be let down on the wall? Any of us? So this isn't just some guy throwing out some scripture verses to make us feel better. This is a guy who has tapped into something, the nearness of the Lord, and that has become his anchor, and nothing can toss him away from that. Nothing can pull him away from that. And he's saying, as we request, as we let these things, as we talk to dad about these things we're going through, as we're thankful for his nearness, we're thankful for his love for us, there's something that happens. Verse 7, the peace of God. The peace of God which surpasses understanding. It surpasses all comprehension as the New American Standard says. This peace begins to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Because isn't that really the battleground for this anxiety that we face? namely in the mind, but our core. He's saying, guys, look, if we 
if we begin to see just how near he is, as we, instead of focusing, which I'm getting ahead of the scripture, but it says in a second, instead of focusing on all of the junk that's thrown our way and the fears and the anxieties, the things that we could certainly camp out on, if we begin to realize the real circumstance that we have died to this world and the Lord himself is now joined to us and we rejoice that that which was, now, was lost is now found, that which was dead is now alive, we begin to realize that, wow, there is a peace that's associated with that, a peace that this world can't create that this world can't offer, this world can't give. And if this world can't give this peace, then this world can't, what? Can't take that peace away. Where does this peace come from? It comes from this revelation of the Lord's nearness. Again, Eugene and I were talking a little bit before the meeting this morning, and it, it makes perfect sense to me why Christians are equally affected by anxiety, depression, etc. It makes perfect sense to me because the majority, as we know here at Life Journey, of Christianity, unfortunately, doesn't believe in the Lord's what? Nearness. Think about it. The majority of Christians don't believe that He's near. For most of us, Christianity has been sold this bill of goods to say it is this never-ending process of trying to get a little bit closer to Jesus. I've told you the story of why I no longer associate with a certain denomination, and it's because in this training session, the guy said, write on your piece of paper right now on a scale of 1 to 10 how close you are to Jesus. So everybody, all these young church influence, inf, inf, uh, impressionable church planners are Surveying the last 24 to 48 hours of, man, did I do this? How long did I read the Bible? And they're looking at their performance to measure how close they are to Jesus. I said, that's it for me. No more. I don't want, this is not life. This is not gospel. This is not Jesus. So the majority of Christians don't even believe that the Lord is near. And so if the nearness of the Lord is is that which brings peace, then Under that system, the only way I can have peace is when I do enough stuff in order to get near the Lord so that I can have peace. Well, that just brings a whole religious anxiety upon the already cultural anxiety issues. But the peace comes from the revelation of the Lord's nearness day in and day out. So how can someone, for example, who's dying of cancer Be thankful, be rejoicing, be peaceful. How is that possible? Maybe in your family, in your situation, it isn't cancer. Maybe it's a separation. Maybe it's a, 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 a rebellious child. I don't know, whatever it is. How can you possibly have peace in this circumstance? It's only going to happen when we realize that your peace doesn't come from the lack of cancer or the lack of a rebellious teenager or the lack of problems. Your peace, true peace, doesn't come from a lack of problems. Peace comes from the realization that I and Jesus are one, the nearness of the Lord. 
And whatever your circumstance is that you face, it can't take away the nearness of the Lord. Can cancer take away the nearness of the Lord? Can a rebellious teenager, can a wife who splits town, can that take away the nearness of the Lord? Can an employer who says, hey, I think you got about six weeks and uh, we're canceling your division, say, take away the nearness of the Lord? Now, I'm not rooting for those things. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but if that's not the source of our peace, then that can't take our peace away. But the problem is that we tend to put our hope for once these circumstances all line up, then I'll be at peace. Then I'll be happy. Then there won't be anxiety in my life. And so we try so much of our time to try to create the perfect circumstances. But it's like trying to herd cats. And so Paul says, it's the peace of God that surpasses any understanding when we realize just how near and loved we are that guards our minds, that guards our hearts, that protects us from these flesh-driven, sin-originating, anxious thoughts. And he says the next verse, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. We spend so much of our time dwelling on the what ifs, but what about? What if this doesn't go right? What if that? And we're filled with because we're setting our minds, setting our, our thoughts on the shifting sands of circumstances and culture, we find ourselves completely overwhelmed with the what-ifs. And the what-ifs are always going to be there. They're real. But Paul is, what I hear Paul saying is, if, if I go into a city and every time I turn around, I'm thinking, man, what, if, what about that person? I'll start telling them about Jesus. What if that's the magistrate? What if that's the ruler of the synagogue? What if, what if, what if? Then Paul is going to be a basket case. He can't handle it. So I say, guys, if we focus on those things, those things is what we become, we become slaves to. But instead, what if we dwell, we set our thoughts, we set our affections, we let these things occupy our thoughts, whatever is good, noble, true, pure. So what are those things? Well, there could be many, but let's just cut to the chase for time's sake. Let's look at the first one. Whatever is true, let me ask it this way. Who is the one who is true? class. Jesus. I'll give you a hint. They're all going to be that. That's the answer for all of them. Who is the one that is honorable? Jesus. You see this? Who is the one that is right? The gold standard. Jesus. Yeah. There's a couple more. Who is the one that is pure? The one that is lovely. Who is the one that is uh, good repute? Excellent and worthy of praise. So what do you hear Paul saying? Hey, let's get our mind centered, not on, as Hart and I were talking before the meeting this morning, some sort of Buddhistic thinking of, you know, just stop thinking about the bad stuff. No, it's not stop thinking about the bad stuff. It is let us set our mind on a new reality 
of the nearness of the Lord who is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, good, excellent, and worthy of praise. Let's, let's let him fill our thoughts. Let's let him be the one who occupies our gray matter. Then what happens? Oh yeah, there's that peace that he brings. Look at this. Look at this. The things, verse 9, you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. So Paul's giving a little testimony. He's not like beating his chest and saying, hey, be like me. He's saying, guys, look, I'm a, I'm a testimony of this reality. And, and as we've been trying to communicate, he's the one who has the corner market on anxiety because of what he has faced day in and day out. Raise your hand if you had wild beasts fetched on you in Ephesus. Anybody? Right. <laughs> That's a time when the person not paying attention just hears, raise your hand, and somebody raises their hand. And so he's saying, you've seen these things in me. And he says, practice these things. He's not just saying, just do what I do. He's saying, look, guys, there is a new reality. Practice these things. What things? Setting your mind on the one who is pure, lovely, noble, true, and the things of him, your glory that he has now given you by oneness with him, your new heart, your new life, your security, your hope. Dwell on these things. Because this world is going to continue to come at us. Who knows what tomorrow is going to hold? And as the old saying says, but we know who holds tomorrow. And then he says, as we practice these, practice these things, and it's like a guarantee. And the God of peace, he'll be with you. So it's not just the peace of God but he is the God of peace. I think it's so cool. Verse before said the peace of God which surpasses. But now it, he's, he is the master of peace. He is the origin of peace. He's the God of peace. Do you see that? He is the one where peace originates from. Without him, there is no peace. And, 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 and let's get back to verse whatever it was, five. He's where? He's near. The Lord is near. And he is the God of this peace. So I don't know exactly what you're facing. I know what I'm facing. I know what we're facing as a family. But the solution isn't let's try our best to fix the circumstances. That's like the guy at the halftime show trying to spin the plates, you know, and all the, the little points, you know, like 20 plates that he's spinning. Good luck. The solution is, no, no, no. Let us see a new day has dawned. The God who was far from us is now joined to us. And he brings with him peace itself. There might not be peace in these circumstances. My aunt might still die from cancer. The market might crash tomorrow. This whole Syria thing that you were speaking of earlier. Good God, what's going to happen with that? I don't know. But I know if those things occupy our thoughts and work their way down into our, 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 our uh, how we derive our okayness, it's going to be nothing but anxiety, anxiety, anxiety. We know that. We're not dumb. We've been there. 
Let's try something new. Let's realize that the Lord is near. He's in me. And he is not, there's not only peace that he offers, but he is the one who owns it. He's the one who created it. Paul's an example of realizing what this peace can actually do to you. Verse 10, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. And I'm not exactly sure what Paul's talking about here because we don't have the backstory of what's going on between Paul and his friends in Philippi. Maybe he had a, a need earlier and they just couldn't meet the need. I don't know. But here's, here, here what... So Paul was in a place where he had a need and people couldn't help him. He said, you were concerned before because I was in need, but you lacked opportunity. But I don't speak now from need. No, I, don't, I don't need anything right now. Look at this, verse, four, oh, verse 11. For I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am in. Contentment. Isn't that the complete opposite for anxiety? I mean, anxiety is screaming, man, what if this? What if that? What if? What if? And this explosion of constant worry and post-traumatic stress and what if, what if, what if? And these are real things. But contentment is completely opposite. Contentment is, I have no need. I have no lack. I have what I need. I'm okay. So how did Paul learn this? Well, he learned this probably not from sitting in a palace, a, 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 a amazing palace with servants. He learned this through times of struggle. Look at this. He says, I know how to get along with humble means. I've also know how to live in prosperity. So apparently, the gospel isn't just simply claiming your physical wealth and you can have it. Because Paul is saying, I've been on both ends of this. I've had some stuff and I've had nothing. But Paul's contentment wasn't in having something or not having something. His contentment was in the nearness of the Lord. So when he had a lot, that's great, awesome, thanks. But when he had nothing, humble means, oh, well, that, no, that's not as fun, <laughs> but that doesn't shake who I am because my peace wasn't given to me by these things. I also, he says, uh, let's see, in each and every circumstance, I have learned. There it is again. I've learned this secret. This secret is... I to not put my confidence in the circumstances. I've learned that my confidence must be in someone else who is, who is near. I've learned the secret of being filled, oops, being filled and going hungry. Now, if I were to sign, if they had the two, if I had the sign-up list, right, I'd rather, I'd sign up on the filled list. I'd try to get to the front of the line so that all the, I'm not left out. But what Paul is saying is being filled, a full stomach, or an empty stomach. I've learned 
how to be content in those things because having a full stomach or having an empty stomach isn't what makes me content, isn't what brings my peace. And so if a full stomach isn't what brings Paul peace, then what does Paul not lose when he has an empty stomach? He doesn't lose his peace. He doesn't lose his contentment because it's in something else from another world. And he says the same thing about having abundance or suffering need. When I've had plenty, when I've had nothing, when I didn't even have sandals or when I had four pairs of sandals, I've learned that these things are not the source of my, 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 my joy, my contentment. I've learned it. It wasn't overnight, I don't think. The verb learned, it's, it's this idea of a continual process of learning. What Paul learned is that the circumstances of life do not bring his contentment. When he had little, his peace wasn't shaken because his peace wasn't found in what he had. When he had plenty of food, his peace wasn't increased because his peace wasn't in his full belly. When he went hungry, his peace wasn't dashed because his peace wasn't in his belly. If he had money, his peace wasn't elevated. If he had no money, his peace wasn't, didn't crash because he learned the secret that his contentment, his peace is in Jesus and Jesus is never leaving him. So let's just be honest for a second. This sounds really fanciful, sounds really great, sounds really noble. Like That's really cool, Paul. But come on, how is that even possible, right? I mean, how is that even possible? Is it even possible for us in 2018 to really think that we could have an empty belly, have kids with empty bellies and still be content? I mean, is that really even possible? Let's just be honest. How is that possible, Paul? Well, he answers that for us as well. Verse 13, very famous, but unfortunately taken out of its context. He says, for I can do these things. What things? I can be content. I can set my gaze, my focus on the one who is lovely, pure. I can be content regardless of the circumstance through Christ who gives me the strength for it. So his own ability in his own flesh wasn't what gives him the strength. See, that's what we tend to do. We try our best. You know, just be happy. Just be content. Just be thankful that you've got this. And we try our best in our own power to, to be grateful and be thankful. And, and yet we find ourselves running in, out. and We're empty of our own strength. And Paul's saying, no, no, no. It's not about you just trying harder to be thankful. It is a realization that we are 100% dependent upon another person because he is the one who actually supplies us with the strength. It's his strength to rest in his peace. If you remember when Jesus was about to die over in John 14, he said, peace I leave with you. Does anybody know right offhand the context of John 14? Who was Jesus promising? The Holy Spirit. God with us, in us. He's saying, peace I leave with you. He's not just talking about like, you know, hey, 60s and 70s peace movement, peace I leave with you. He's talking about a person. His very spirit I leave with you. My peace in the person of the Holy Spirit I give to you. And I don't give the way the world gives peace. How does the world give peace? based on your circumstances. If there's no war, there's what? Yeah, that's how the word, world gives. As long as there's no world, war, then there's peace. 
Now, what, Paul is, uh, what Jesus is saying, what Paul is tapping into and learning is the war doesn't matter. There's a peace that surpasses understanding, a peace that goes by a different set of circumstances. It is a person, Christ himself, God is the God of this peace that now is near and lives in us. The world gives and takes away. The world is fickle, but God never takes away. He is the giver of peace. So the cure to this troubled heart, he says, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't live in this anxiety. It's the revelation of his Holy Spirit, his peace that is in us, guiding us into this truth of our union with him. Our journey marker this morning as our time is expired is simply, it's kind of long, but it's the glory or the the wonder, the majesty, the goodness isn't found in the removal of the circumstance. Though we can and should pray for the removal of the circumstance. Amen? Let your request be made known to God. I mean, let us, let us pray. But the glory, the miracle, isn't really in the removal of the circumstance. The glory is found in the peace in the midst of the circumstance. I mean, let's just think about that. Who wouldn't be joy-filled and grateful and, and content when the cancer gets cured? Who wouldn't uh, when the bills all miraculously get paid? Who wouldn't be, oh my God, thank God you're so near. I mean, that's, that's not miraculous. The, the miraculous, the glory, is when we experience a peace in the midst of that circumstance. And that is not a peace that this world can give, but that is a peace that this world, myself included, desperately needs. This cannot be learned from an outline. This cannot be learned from a sermon, a book. Hey, you got any cool books to read about this? This can't even... Take this the right way. This can't even just simply be learned by reading the Bible a lot. I hear Paul saying, the way I learned this, remember he said that two times, I learned the secret, I learned this, is through the heat of the battle itself. In the midst of turning that corner and finding someone who's ready to toss you out and stone you. How many times, two times he got stoned and left for dead, I think he says? At least two times he was whipped with the 39 times because he couldn't do it 40 because he was a Roman citizen. You can't do that, it's illegal. So they did it 39 times. Good legalists. So Paul didn't read this by, Paul didn't learn this contentment by reading somebody's really cool, awesome Facebook post or listening to some awesome podcast. Paul learned this by facing the circumstance after circumstance after circumstance where his very life was on the line time after time. And I don't know how long it took for him to learn this. And I think, again, it says it, 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 was, it sounds like he's continuously learning this. I have learned this, meaning it, the learning continues. He picked up on it, I would say, pretty quickly <clears throat> with the circumstances that he faced, whatever those circumstances were, the circumstances being removed wasn't what brought Paul the true joy. That's what he learned. The circumstances being alleviated were not what brought him the peace and the contentment. Circumstances always are going to change. They always have. They always will. 
So Paul picked up on this fact that he needs his life, his peace, his wholeness, his satisfaction, his contentment to be found in someone who doesn't change. I think that's the invitation of the good news. I think that's the invitation of living the resurrected life. So much of Christianity is just focused on the death of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the death of Jesus. And I don't think we got that all the way right, quite honestly, in most groups. The death of Jesus. Well, the death of Jesus is only part of the gospel. There was a resurrection. And even Paul says that we're only saved because of his resurrection. And so the death of Jesus took away the sins, but it's the resurrection being raised with him that actually gives us a new life with him. And so Paul is saying, I'm living from his resurrected life, which is now my life. This same letter that Paul says, you know what, I might die soon. And you know what? To live, man, it's Christ, it's awesome. And to die, it actually would be even better. That's what he says in verse, what, chapter 2, I think it was? 1? One? So what about us? Are we only able to be content and at peace when circumstances around us are peaceful? What's so special about that? If that's your testimony, though, and it's mine too many times, that we're only able to be okay with ourselves and with others when circumstances are okay. If that's our testimony, then I am willing to bet that we suffer from serious anxiety. But what if we were able to transfer, and I don't know a better word than this, but to transfer our barometer, our measure of our okayness, of our peace, of our contentment from the things of this world to another world, to an unchangeable world, to Jesus himself, whose affections and nearness are off the charts. Do you really realize how secure you are? Do you really realize how safe you are? Do you realize that you've already died? And if you've already died, then what is the fear? We hear the apostles over and over. Peter is another one who says, I cannot wait for this tent to fall off. Because he realized he's already died. This is just a tent he's living in. Do you know how loved you truly are? Do you realize how cherished you are? Do you realize that God's love for you is so extreme that he actually clothed himself in flesh and died on a Roman cross for you? Do we really understand that? Are we really, really willing to receive that? The very same God who flung the stars into space, he's crazy about you. Crazy about you. Now that doesn't mean that somebody is gonna get, not going to get drunk and drive across the line and perhaps kill someone you love. That, that, that doesn't change that. But the reality is you are the very object of God's affection. I don't know. When I think of those things that are true, noble, pure, when I'm dwelling on those things, I just find a peace. Not because the circumstances have changed, 
but because I grow in my awareness of how rooted in this love I truly am. Let me pray for us before we share. Father, I just pray for those in this room. I don't know the circumstance of every single person, but I just pray, Father, that you would help us know how loved we really are. I hear Paul saying the only antidote to anxiety is the revelation of your love, your nearness, your truthfulness. And there may be somebody just in this room right this minute who liked that tweet I quoted earlier. When they don't get called by a friend, their reaction is, well, they just don't want to be my friend anymore because they know what the anxiety of this life is like and they suffer. I just pray, Father, that you would rescue us from this. You have. But we're hurting, we're struggling. And we need to see this great grace that you have so freely bestowed upon us. Help us to see. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Is there anybody who has a word, a comment, a maybe a testimony, maybe a question, maybe a example that you may have? Yeah. Rachel. Thanks. I'm not sure where to start. Um written down here, the same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives in me. That yeah. song meant so much to me. I can testify to the fact that that is true. That is so true. And about six months ago, the Lord very clearly impressed on my heart, be at peace and content while I work things out. You know, I've had to, I've been reminded of that again and again. That's where I go. Be at peace and content while I work things out. Not while I do, not while me, not while Rachel does, but while the Lord, while the Lord works it out. And I also um, was reminded about these things, um, whatsoever things are pure and true and honorable. I used to try to think of things that are honorable and true or circumstances that were true and good and all of that stuff, but you know, that didn't work for me. It was when I found out that all of that is Jesus. When I, when I think of him, that's when things changed in my life. I'm so thankful and so grateful. Thank you, Rachel. That means a lot to hear you share this morning. Anybody else have a word of encouragement or brief testimony like Rachel, like Rachel just had, or maybe a question, or perhaps even a could we pray for somebody, pray for someone that you know, heck, even yourself that we could pray for, who faces these struggles. Maybe you have a child in that thirteen to seventeen year old 
But we've got three that are going to be in that range sooner than later, ourselves. Anybody? Jim? In uh, verse 8 there where it says, <coughs> you know, dwell on these things, literal word there is ponder. Mm -hmm. That really speaks to me, and I've heard James Barron share this, that we've lost the art of pondering, if you want to call it, that we dwell or ponder on these things which are good, which is Christ himself. And as we do that, and we become more aware of the spiritual things, and it, you know, that just brings peace yeah. automatically. He said before, you know, the three, three most important things in real estate are location, location, location. Three most important things in the spiritual world is awareness, awareness, awareness. So, you know, just I put some of this in practice, just experimental, experimentally. Um, can't go to sleep at night laying laying in the bed. So it may just be a scripture. I just start pondering, you know, that I read, uh, that I don't understand. So, Lord, what does this mean? Yeah. And start pondering on his goodness, and, and pretty soon I'm asleep. Mm. You know, enemy doesn't want you pondering on these right. things. So whatever was keeping you awake, you know, you say, oh, i got to leave him alone. <laughs> he's, right. he's touching, you know. Spiritual things, no, but yeah. I mean, just you know, that's something to try. You're just laying in bed. If you can't sleep, one, you know, yeah. All that, you know, yeah. I mean, sometimes it helps. Yeah. Anyway, that's what I had. Amen. Awesome. Thanks, thanks, Jim. Any other thoughts? Hopefully this is a encouragement of some degree because um, uh, I don't know if it was in that same article I referenced earlier, but in one of the articles I read this week, thinking about these things, one guy said that um, if you're not suffering from anxiety in 2018, then there's something wrong with you. <laughs> It's because it's so common, but it's, it doesn't have to be that way. It just doesn't have to be that way. Let's stand and pray and be uh, dismissed. And if anybody has any questions or you want to talk, you know, feel free. Um, grab um, before, we, before we take off. And, yeah, there's school tomorrow, right? Yeah, so if anybody wants to stick around and help put these chairs and tables back, that'd be fantastic. Father, we just thank you for this morning, this opportunity to be reminded that there really is a, an answer. There really is. There really is a peace that you have given to us. And we just get distracted. We are 
our minds are of this creation, and we naturally default to assuming that our peace comes by peaceful, easy living. But it's not. At least not peaceful, easy living in this world. Our peace comes from the peace, the easy burden, the light. you have given us the yoke that is easy, the burden that is light. So Father, I pray that we would realize the truth that we are not to derive any life, any peace, any source from things of this world. We've died to this world You are our life. And you are the God of peace. I pray this week as we face issues, struggles, complications, that you would just remind us of that, that these complications do not define us. They have no power over us other than what we let them have. Father, may we live in this world in the reality of our new life in another world. For then and only then can we die daily like Paul, being eaten by wild beasts, but yet be at peace, content. We love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Have a great week. Thank you again for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We'd love to hear from you. If God is doing something special in your life, let us know by sending an email to info at lifejourneyva.com. Feel free to pass today's teaching on to any friends and family that you'd like, but please don't change any of it or charge for it. This podcast is made available for free as a ministry of Life Journey Church. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Have a great day.